But I've been doing a series called First Questions. And I was noticing um, the, the importance and the impact of the first questions that were asked um, by Satan, by God, and by mankind. And so a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, oh gosh, it's probably been longer than that now. I've been quarantined for a while. I, didn't, I tested negative. It was all precautionary. It's okay. Um, but uh, So I've been gone for a couple weeks. Uh, but before then, we looked at the first question that was asked in Scripture, and it came from Satan. And it was, did God really say... That's Satan's question to us. Did God really say? And this morning, we're going to look at the first question that God asks mankind. Give you the end of the, it's, the question is, where are you? Where are you? It's so intriguing to me. And I've, I, I was thinking about, I always struggle with my introduction. Just, just a little glimpse into Brian. Um, I always struggle with my introduction. I, I don't exactly know how to do the takeoff all the time. Once we get in the air, I feel pretty comfortable. And landing, I'm okay. But the takeoff of the plane, a little bit shaky. Uh, and so I always try and think about what to say. And I realize I say a lot, this has become my favorite part of scripture. I, I, I realize I say that all the time. I say, man, I studied this, this has become my favorite part of scripture. Well, that happens all the time because when I study something, I get to pull out more and more from it and its application. So in that very moment, yes, this is my favorite part of Scripture. Now, in a, next week when I teach the next one, I'll tell you, that's my favorite part of Scripture because in that moment, I was able to pull out and God showed me the purpose and the application behind it. But I will tell you that Genesis 3, this first part, has really stuck with me. I find it to be unbelievably important, incredibly applicable, and this morning, I hope through God's grace, we can um, understand what God was asking when he said, where are you? So, I always pray first, settle my heart, settle my mind, settle your heart, settle your mind, and so if you'll join me again from prayer. Oh, God, you are so good, and you're so faithful. And this morning, I think we need to hear that. This morning, I think we need to be reminded again and again and again, you are faithful. You are good. You are on the throne regardless of what's happening. God, and we're so grateful for that. God, and we're thankful that we have a place to come this morning, whether we're here in person or online, that, that there's a, a place for us to come and to try and understand you more, to try and understand what we are to do and how we are to live. God, in a crazy world, how we're supposed to represent you. And this morning, I pray that through this unbelievably powerful moment in time, that we can see how we are to live, that we can see how we are to relate to you, that we can understand your nature and our nature. God, so give me grace to speak. God, take a simple message and make it powerful through your spirit. And God, as always, anything that I say that's for me in my imagination, let it be forgotten before anyone leaves this room or logs off this video. But God, anything that's for you, let it stick forever. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. All right, so we're gonna be in Genesis 3, starting in verse one. Uh, we'll do a little bit of uh, recap from the last time I taught, a little bit of overlap in the story, starting in Genesis 3, verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Uh, he said to the woman, did God really say, that was the question, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it, which he did not say, or you will die. Satan says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. 
For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And this is one of the little, this is a bonus. This isn't actually part of the message, just bonus material. Um, When it says that knowing good and evil, that phrase knowing there is the experience of. Okay, it's, we talk, I talk about it all the time that when we know God, it's not just knowing facts. It's not just knowing information. It's not just having scripture memorized. It's knowing experientially. And so what Satan is actually saying here is that you will know both good and evil. And up to that point, they'd only known good. And so what he's really saying, he, he's actually not lying there. This is the, one of the few times that Satan doesn't lie. He's telling the absolute truth. In this moment, when you sin, you've known good, but now you will know evil. You will experience, you will understand more than most of us the power that evil has and the power that sin has. And so Satan, surprisingly, tells the truth. We just don't read it that way. We don't hear it that way. We want to know good and evil. We want to be able to look at the world and say, this is good and that is bad. But that's not what Satan promised. Satan's promise was, you'll experience bad. You've only experienced good, but in this moment, you'll experience bad. And he goes on, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, I think that's amazing that the same tree that God said, if you eat from it, you will surely die. Eve said, well, it's good for food and it's pretty and it'll make me smart. That's what temptation does. Temptation only shows you the good parts. And when you only see the good parts, all of a sudden we forget the consequence. And she saw all the good that the tree could offer and she's like, yeah, let's do that. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is the introduction of legalism. Mankind's attempt to cover their sin with their own hands. That's legalism. That we try and create systems and structures and things to make it right with God when God said, only I can do that. Like, yeah, okay, but we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that and we're gonna do this just in case. And that's what they did. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And what's really powerful in this moment, they'd interacted with God a lot. This was the first time it was scary. It's an amazingly powerful shift that we have to understand in this moment in time. That they'd walked with God, they'd known God in the cool of the evening, and we're gonna look all about that because it's really powerful. But they'd never been scared of God before. It's always been peace, it's always been joy, it's always been mercy, it's always been grace, it's always been love. But in an instant, it changed to, I'm so afraid I have to hide. And unfortunately, If we're being honest, that's where most of us, if not all of us, find ourselves this morning. Because each and every one of us walking in here has sin in our lives. It's just the reality. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul told the church of Rome that. And it's true. And we all come in this morning trying to hide from each other and trying to hide from God our struggles. So now the struggle for every human being is that we hide in shame from the very God who forgives. We hide in shame from the presence of God that is there to heal our shame. Verse nine, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? 
God doesn't ask questions for his sake. God is all-knowing. He don't need to ask any questions. He's got all the information beforehand. This question is for Adam and for us. So first we're going to look at the fact that they sowed fig leaves. They covered their shame. They covered their shame. And to me, like the immediate uh, idea that I got is, you know when you're playing hide and seek with your little kid and their thought is if you, if they can't see you, you can't see them. You know what I'm talking about? Like they will hide behind a plant, okay? And if their eyes are covered by the leaves and they can't see you, it is for sure that you can't see them. That is how we essentially hide from God. It's like, I'm hidden, it's fine. No. We are terrible at hide and seek and God's the best. But this is what we all do. Immediately, from the moment we sin, from the moment we err, once we know Jesus and then after Jesus, we've met him, it's been cool, and we have that moment where we're like, we find ourselves in sin. Our immediate response is to hide. Every kid, every, well, every person in here knows exactly what I'm talking about because we do it with our parents. The first time that you do something that you know is wrong, very few of you in here marched right to mom and dad and said, mom, dad, this is exactly what happened. This is exactly how it went down and I'm ready and willing to accept whatever punishment you have. If you did that, kudos to you because you're the unicorn, Okay. I'll be honest, my kids have never done that. What happened there? I don't know. I wouldn't even hear. You live here? I don't know. We hide. Our goal is to make sure that God doesn't know. And it's the most ridiculous thing that we've ever tried to do, is to hide something from an all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful God. Do you know how stupid we are? Like, I can hide this from the God who created it. It's fine. It's fine. It'll be fine. We're going to look in a few minutes at Adam hid from God, but first he hid from Eve. Because that's the, one of the first things that sin does. Not only does it create a between us and God, it creates a separation between us and our fellow man. That's why each and every one of us struggles with relationship. Every single one of us in here struggles with relationship, whether that's in church or in family or small groups. This is why in the church in America, we don't seek out discipleship. We don't seek out mentorship because one of the aspects and components of discipleship and mentorship is the fact that we're gonna have to be exposed. We're gonna have to be willing to say, this is where I'm not any good. And in fact, not just that I'm not good, this is where I'm really bad. This is my, and what we do is we just sit in our issues instead of reaching out and seeking help. And that's why the American church, and not just American church, that's why church as a whole is struggling. One of the biggest reasons it's struggling is because the people inside refuse to reach out and get help from each other in their sin issues because we're so terrified, exactly as Adam was, I can't let her see me. I can't let them see me. Because I know the real me. You get the Sunday morning real good me, okay? I know that me on Tuesday afternoon when I'm tired and I'm stressed and I'm hungry. Okay, hungry's a thing, okay? Makes us upset. <laughs> but if someone was to knock on my door, man, that fig leaf would go on quick. And it would be designed 
minor fig leaves. Like it wouldn't even be like normal fig leaves. It'd be like a fig leaf competition. My fig leaf is is more ornate than yours because I'm better at hiding my stuff than you are. And that's the culture. And it's not just the culture of church, it's the culture of the world. The culture of the world is if I can hide it from you, it's fine. Apologize for getting caught, not for what I did. We'll see Adam do that too. But it's amazing that he hid from Eve that just a few verses ago, he referred to her as flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. One of the best translations of the word woman there in the Hebrew, and this is not mine, this came from someone else, is essentially Adam goes, mine. That's what he said. He, he, He named everything else, dog. I want that one. That one's mine. And God's like, yes, it is. That's exactly the point. And they become one flesh. That's what scripture says. They became one flesh. But then the moment, the moment sin entered, there was division. So all of you husbands and wives, sometimes we struggle. It's because we're sinful creatures. We're sinful and selfish and we hide and we don't trust. And that's exactly what Adam did. And because of that, now we all struggle. We all struggle in relationships because we're too afraid to let people see us without our fig leaves. We're too afraid. And that's the reality. And it started in the garden. This is not something new. This is not perpetuated into, well, this just happens because it's 2020. No, this happened from like day one of sin entering the world. We either. But then God came. They heard the sound of the Lord, and like I said, is the first time it was scary. I don't know, just that, seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm studying this, I'm praying through it, I'm in my office for the first time in a couple weeks, and I'm sitting there, and my heart, it, it was, my heart broke in that, like, when I realized what that meant, what that would have been like, that the very God that knit them, that they'd known in perfect harmony, in perfect relationship from moment one, that all of a sudden they were terrified. They were terrified of the same presence that had brought them comfort time and time before. That's why so many, that's why so many students, I'll be honest, I'll pick on students for a second. That's why so many students walk away from church and youth group. It's because they're sin and they're in the middle of sin and they're struggling and they don't know who to go to and they can't open up and they come to church or they come to youth group and the presence of God is there and all of a sudden it's, he's gonna expose me. I'm I'm gonna expose, everyone's gonna know and I'm just like, so they just stop going. And if we're gonna be honest, a lot of us have done that. Some of you on Sunday mornings when you're like, I just don't wanna go to church, you need to check what sin you're struggling with. What sin do you not want to get exposed? What sin do you not want to bring to the presence of God that morning? So I'm gonna bet you nine out of 10 times, it's not, I'm so tired, it's not, no. you just not sure your fig leaf is gonna hold up in front of God. But I want you to see what God's first response was to mankind's sin. Now, if you know the story, you know later on there's a curse that's coming because stand for sin. Simple and plain. I love to live on God is love, which is true. 
I love to live on that side because I'm not a huge fan of the holy God. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? The God who says, uh, I'm perfect, so you be perfect. But your love, it's cool. But your love, it's fine. Uh, yeah, but you should really read the Old Testament and all the things that I said my people had to do to stand in my presence. But your love, it's fine. It's fine. It's not fine, is it? No, it's a balance between, actually, it's not a balance. He's fully love and he's fully holy. And we struggle that there's some of us that sit over here on the holy side and we forget that God is love and there's some like me that forget that (laughs) God is gonna take care of sin. Simple and plain. He can't stand it. But what is his first response to the first sin of mankind? Is he goes and he finds them. That's incredibly powerful and I think we need to understand that because a lot of us when we talk about Genesis 3 and we talk about the fall and we talk about the story of Adam and Eve, we skip this part. There's the sin, there's the where are you, there's the Adam's an idiot. You've all heard that, you've heard that message in your Father's Day. The call to men to not be Adam because he's an idiot and he's like, I don't know what's going on. I just came in and my wife had food on the table so I ate it. You know, we've heard that one. Okay. Um, and then we skip that God came to man. They had just done the only thing that he asked them not to do. The only thing. And yet he still, in his grace, in his love, and in his mercy, he comes to them. He does not ask them to find him. He goes and he finds where they are. And he found them in the cool of the night, which is so incredibly important. It's the cool of the day, and, and in the... Um, in the, in the desert climate, uh, kind of five o'clock, six o'clock, um, an evening breeze would come through and uh, most workers and most people would, would take a, a rest, uh, in Spanish culture would be a, a siesta, um, from like two to four or three to five because it was too hot. It was too hot to do anything. But then this breeze would come in and the men would go back to work or there'd be things that were done because it was cool enough. And that's when God came and found Adam and Eve. And Charles Spurgeon has a quote about why that's important. He says, not in the dead of night when the natural glooms of darkness might increase the terror of the criminals. Not in the heat of the day lest we should imagine God came in the heat of passion. Not in the early morning as if in haste to slay, but in the close of the day. For God is long-suffering, slow to anger, and of great mercy. How amazing is that? they utterly and completely failed. There's no dancing around it. There's no excuse. There's no this. They failed God. And in the cool of the evening, so no one will be confused about why he's coming, he comes in peace. So this morning... If you're caught and you're struggling and you're just dealing with an issue that cannot go away, this is the God that's coming to you this morning. He's not coming to you with anger and wrath and fire and brimstone. He's coming to you walking, not stomping, because that's, that's what I do. Any, any other dads stomp to make sure your kids know that they're coming and they're in trouble? Yeah. That's not what he's doing. He's taking a walk in the exact same way 
he had done every other evening. Everything had changed. And we'll see that. Everything in all the world had changed. Death entered the world. Sin had just entered the world. The perfect plan of God was broken. And what's God's response? Just takes a leisurely stroll. Then he asks, where are you? Now we know that God doesn't ask questions for himself. If he needed to know something, he's not God. Okay? That means he's not perfect, therefore he's not God. Which also means he doesn't need our help. Just to clarify. If God needed our help, he's not all sufficient, therefore he's not God. God is all sufficient. I was listening to a an older pastor to speak uh, on this topic and he used the phrase, he's God all by himself. He does not need anybody or anything. He is God all by himself. But this question is for Adam. The question was for Adam and the question is not out of anger but the cry of an anguished father. It's not a demeaning where are you like how could you and why would you? It was heartbroken, where are you? God knew exactly where he was. But in this moment, he's recognizing the gap that is now created. The chasm that is now between God and Adam that you and I feel every moment of every day. When we sin and we err, there's this chasm, this gap that appears between us and God. God doesn't move, but we push real far away. Like it says in Luke 15, and then he comes after us. The lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. He comes after us. The same way he does in the garden. The question was to show and to demonstrate to Adam his very lostness. Because in this moment, Adam doesn't recognize what has happened. He understands for the first time there's lots of confusion. This is terrifying. Why is this scary all of a sudden? I don't get it. I was, we were cool and now we're not. And, and like, we're not cool in like a really not okay sort of way. Like, I feel like you want to smite me kind of situation. And I'm really terrified because you're really big and you're really scary all of a sudden. You used to be really big and kind of scary because you could crush me, but I knew you wouldn't, but now I'm not sure. And so I hide. But from the very beginning, notice this, from the very beginning, God is creating room for the repentance center. Because that's what this question is for. This question is to draw Adam out and allow him the opportunity to repent. Because 1 John 1, 9, you don't have to turn there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But, that's not what Adam did. That was not Adam's response. Adam's response is found in verse 10. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Fun fact, Adam wasn't naked then. Verse seven said that he already sowed fig leaves. Verse seven says that he sowed fig leaves, him and, Ad, him and Eve sowed fig leaves, they recognized they were naked, they were ashamed, they sowed fig leaves, and so now God comes, where are you? I, I was naked, so I hid. Bro, you ain't naked? You're lying. Avoidance tactic number one, shift the focus. Shift the focus. Well, I, we're not gonna talk about the apple thing. 
Or again, it, we don't know it's an apple. Apples get real bad names. Anyone, like, anyone got a, like a uh, grapefruit? I don't like grapefruit. So now the fruit of sin is grapefruit for me. Whatever fruit you don't like, that's the sin. That's the fruit. Um, and so he eats the grapefruit. And I was really hoping for a laugh. It's okay. Um, and so he eats that, but he, and he hides from God. But when God says, where are you? He doesn't say, oh, I, you know that, you know you said not to eat that tree from the tree, you know? And, it, and, and I did. I'm sorry. How the story would have changed. How the story would have changed if Adam being the first man would have said, I blew it. I'm not good. I'm so sorry. But instead he goes, I, I hid because I was naked and I thought you would be ashamed. And we recognize that Adam's attempt to cover his sin is completely and totally inadequate. <laughs> but what he recognizes, what we need to recognize from what Adam does is I can fool you for a while. I can. I can fool you for a while. If I'm, if I'm struggling with sin, I can fool you for a while because most of you see me once a week and you see me at my best. And so I can fool you for a long time. And if we're close friends, I can, I can still fool you for a while. I can even fool my family for quite a while. But I've never once fooled God. Never once. He, he knew before I did it. Do you, see, do you see how ridiculous we are? We're hiding something that we did that God knew beforehand we were gonna do. Brian, where are you? I, well, I hid because I was, I was naked. I'm fully clothed, standing before God saying, well, I'm naked. So it's like, no, you're not. Stop lying. Stop lying. 1 John 1, 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's a heavy verse. This should crush the idea of self-righteousness right now. There is zero chance of you ever having self-righteousness in the moment you think that you're self-righteous, the truth isn't in you. Because self-righteous means I'm fine without God. Can't be. You don't have it. Jesus told his disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing. Zero. Nothing. And we don't buy it because we spend our whole lives walking around like God doesn't exist until stuff goes real bad. We're like, God, where were you? And he's like, I've been here the whole time. You just never talked to me. But if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and to clean us of all unrighteousness. I love telling the youth group, do you know what the word all means? All, every, not lacking anything. To clean us of every speck of unrighteousness that we have. But Adam didn't do that. The man said, the woman you put here with me. Avoidance tactic number two. We're gonna blame others. That woman the one, yeah, I know I said she was flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, mine. But yeah, she, you know, it's her fault. And then when we can't blame others, now we're going to blame God. I love that. I love it so much. Hey, hey, the woman you, you gave me, you, this is your fault. 
You did. I'm an innocent bystander. I was, in fact, I was doing what you told me. You told me to take care of the garden. I was taking care of the garden. I came home and there was food on the table and I ate it. I don't even know. I don't ask what's for dinner. It's essentially what Adam's saying. And God's like, oh, it hurts. It hurts. And the question I get asked all the time in this story is, well, why did God put the tree there anyway? Why did God put the tree there anyway? To show us that obedience leads to joy. From day one, from moment one, obedience leads to joy and disobedience leads to all the bad things that we're going through right now. It's that simple. Obedience leads to joy and holiness and perfect unity with God. And disobedience leads to everything you and I are experiencing in the year 2020. We got no one else to blame. We walk around sinning and never admitting it and never confessing it and never owning it and blaming others and avoiding it. And then if we can't blame others, we'll blame God. And then the consequence happens. Verse 15. Speaking to the serpent. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In the beginning of the consequence, we find the gospel. In the beginning of the consequence, we find the hope that is Jesus. And this is one of the biggest reasons I love God is in the middle of him justly punishing them, he goes, yeah, but I love you so much. I got, I got you. I got you. I got you. There's a plan. It's gonna be okay. There is hope. There is a future. There is someone coming who will do what Adam didn't do. He will be tempted and tried in every way possible, but he won't sin. God cannot stand for sin because he's perfectly holy, but he shows already that he has a plan to fix the problem. Sin was introduced through Adam, but righteousness was introduced through Jesus. And you can have that righteousness today. That's it. Like that's, that's the joy of the gospel. That's the joy of Jesus. That's the joy of when I was 16, I came into this church, a, a horrible, rotten, ugly sinner. And in a moment, in a moment, I was made right with God. The gap, the chasm that was between me and the God who created me, the God who loves me perfectly, was closed because I believed. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The only prerequisite, I know I shouldn't have said that word, the only prerequisite for salvation is sin. Good news, that means all of us are in. We are all perfect candidates for salvation. Because we, we learned a minute ago that if we admit, if we say we don't have any sin, truth's not in us. We are filled with sin. Top to bottom. And then comes Jesus. 
then comes Jesus, my favorite verse in all the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in, in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is why we don't have to hide. This is why I don't have to hide from you. Let's say this, let me just say it this way. This is why I shouldn't have to hide from you. This is why you shouldn't have to hide from me and you shouldn't have to hide from your spouse or your parents. You shouldn't have to hide because we should all understand that each one of us has zero righteousness of our own. We have none. It is the righteousness of God himself in us through the gift of the Holy Spirit that makes us have right standing with God, who makes us have right relationship with God, who gives us the ability to be righteous and without sin. And when we err and when we sin, it is, it, it is a, a, a bl- not a blip, it's, a, it's, it's not who we are. It's not who we are. Shame comes in and says, look, I knew you were gonna do that. You're always gonna do that. That's just who you are. That's shame. God's grace comes in and says, that's not who you are. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are my righteousness. That's not who you are. And if I believe, I firmly believe that if Adam, and I know you can't because God does what he wants, but if Adam in that moment would have said, I blew it. I don't want to be too graphic, but if he would have taken his fig leaf off, stood naked before his God and said, I was wrong. This is what you asked me to do and I did the exact opposite. I repent. Story changes. Consequences are still there because sin happened. Don't get me wrong. Some of the story changes because if not, 1 John 1, 9 is incorrect. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. But Adam didn't do that. So the question this morning is the same question that God asked Adam. Where are you? Where are you hiding? Where are you hiding from your spouse? Where are you hiding from your parents? Where are you hiding this morning? Because in the culture that God asks us to have in his church, it should not be necessary to hide. It's not that we flaunt our sins or we celebrate our sins. It's not what I'm talking about. But the Bible does tell us to confess our sins one to another. Why? So that you may be healed. Because when we come together and we admit our sins and we admit our flaws and we admit that we have blown it, we can pray for each other of that sin. That's the goal. But instead, we just keep getting bigger and fancier fig leaves to continue to hide the truth that each one of us already knows about each other. Parents, you know your kid's sin. You've seen it from day one. Wives, you know your husband's sin. You've seen it from, seen it from day one. But we all try and pretend it's not there exactly as Adam did. I'm not a sinner. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, it's fine. She did it. Uh, she gave it to me. I don't know. I wasn't even, he- even there. 
our attempts to hide our shame are inadequate before God. Read Luke 15 this week. Read Luke 15 this week. And the celebration that happens when something that is lost is found. Because in this moment, when God says, where are you? He opens the door for every repentant sinner for the rest of time. And I thank God so much that he did it for me. Because as Paul says, Jesus came to save sinners, of which I'm the greatest. Let's pray. God, you're too good. You're too good. You're too gracious. We don't deserve it. Even, even our attempts to be good are, are usually bad. But God, we pretend that we've got it all together and we pretend that we're righteous and we pretend that we're without sin and it's just, it's just fig leaves trying to hide us. God, this morning here in a minute, we're gonna be able to take communion and, and celebrate what you did for us on the cross. And God, I pray that in that moment, we can do a little self-evaluation and repent before you, that I can take some time for self-evaluation and repent before you. Because God, I, I have no righteousness of my own. It all comes from you. Every single good that is in me or anyone in this room for that matter comes from you. God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace and your love. And God, I don't do it enough, but thank you for your just judgment of sin. God, help us to walk in obedience because in obedience is fullness of joy. God, bless each and every one of us here. May our ears have heard this morning. May our hearts be molded to be moved like you and may our feet be ready for action. Thank you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.